0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. The permanent maxillary and mandibular molars are named for their position in the arch from anterior to posterior as first molar and second molar. Maxillary molars have two buccal and two lingual cusps, with the maxillary first molar having an additional cusp located on the mesial lingual cusp known as the cusp of carabelli. Molars are the non-succedaneous teeth that come in behind the deciduous molars, The tooth morphology of the molars allows for assisting with grinding of food that is an essential function for digestion. One of the most important reasons to have a comprehensive understanding of tooth morphology with the permanent maxillary and mandibular molars is clinical charting, sealant placement, and periodontal instrumentation. Clinical charting accuracy is greatly increased when a clinician has a comprehensive understanding of tooth morphology and can correctly identify a tooth in the dentition. Sealant placement is directly correlated with the clinician's familiarity with the occlusal table. Periodontal instrumentation is directly related to root anatomy. Clinicians that are aware of root morphology during the assessment can develop better plans for patients to manage their disease status. The first thing that we need to discuss are the class traits of the permanent molars. The permanent molars have three to five cusps. At least two of those cusps are buccal cusps, and they can either have a bifurcated or a trifurcated root. The mandibular molars have bifurcated roots, which means there are two roots, and the maxillary molars are trifurcated, which means that they have three roots. There are two buccal roots and one lingual root on all the maxillary molars. The first molars are usually the largest molars overall, and the second and third molars become progressively smaller. The number of cusps for the permanent molars equal the number of developmental lobes. So unlike the anterior teeth and the premolars, when you get to the molars, if there are five developmental lobes, those five developmental lobes turn into five cusps for a molar. If there are four developmental lobes, then there will be four cusps associated with that tooth. Another class trait for the permanent molars is that each buccal surface has a prominent cervical ridge. Now, this cervical ridge runs mesiodistally on the cervical one-third of the buccal surface, and it's found on all primary teeth and permanent molars as a class trait. The crowns are shorter occlusocervically cervically than on the anterior teeth but they are larger in all other dimensions. The maxillary molars are wider in a buccal-lingual direction than the mandibular molars. And the mandibular molars are wider in a mesodistal direction than the maxillary molars. The permanent molars erupt just posterior to the primary second molars. They are non-sucidaneous. Their function is to grind food with very large cusps. And another important function is that they maintain the vertical dimension of the face. They are the cornerstone in occlusion due to the early eruption date and the location in the arch. And we'll talk about occlusion in a different episode. Going back to form and function, The facial and lingual shape of the permanent molars is trapezoidal. The proximal shape on the maxillary teeth is trapezoidal, so that's an arch trait. And on the mandibular teeth, the proximal shape is rhomboidal. That is also considered an arch trait. When we're looking at the root trunks, you want to be sure that you learn the furcation crotch and the root trunk lengths. Now the furcation crotch is the space between the roots right at the furcation. So this is that furcal region area. Um, And it's important to learn the length of the root trunks on all of the molars, as this will help you in the clinical setting when you begin probing, especially your periodontally involved patients. So there are four characteristics of maxillary and mandibular roots. Number one, the roots become shorter the more posterior the molar is. Number two, the roots become less divided the more posterior the molar is. Number three, the roots become more varied in shape, size, and direction of curvature the more posterior the molar is. And number four, many of the root branches and fercal surfaces have concavities on them. The maxillary molar roots have three roots. There's one palatal or lingual root and two buccal roots. The lingual or palatal root is the longest root, and the distal buccal root is the shortest root. The mesial buccal root curves distally in the apical third, and the distal buccal root is usually straighter and may curve mesially in the apical third as well. When we're looking at the mandibular molar roots, there are two roots on the mandibular molars. There is one mesial root and one distal root. The mesial root is longer and stronger than the distal root. The mesial root bends distally in the apical third, and the distal root is usually a little more straight and may curve mesially or distally at its apical third. Now that we've reviewed the class traits, let's take a look at the specific type traits, starting with the permanent maxillary first molar. The eruption date is six to seven years, with a root completion of about nine to 10 years. It is a non-sucidaneous tooth. And using the universal designation system, it's 3 and 14. The proximal contacts on the mesial is just at the junction of the occlusal and middle third, and on the distal, the contact is located in the middle third. There are four major cusps and one minor cusp called the supplementary cusp, known as the cusp of carabelli on the permanent maxillary first molar. When we're looking at the root anatomy of the maxillary first molar, it is trifurcated, which means that there are three root branches. There is a mesial buccal, distal buccal, and palatal root. The roots are twice as long as the crown. And the lingual root is the largest and the longest. And this particular tooth has a key feature that that lingual root is banana-shaped. The mesial buccal and distal buccal roots have extreme mesial and distal curvature, almost like a pair of pliers working towards one another. Looking at the mesial buccal root, it curves distally in the apical third. And the distal buccal root is usually straighter and may curve mesially in the apical third, creating that set of pliers look to the roots. Looking at the pulp cavity of the maxillary first molar, there is one pulp horn for each major cusp and one pulp canal for each root. There is an exception. The mesial buccal root usually has two pulp canals. This is easier to remember because it is the largest cusp. The buccal forcation is located four millimeters from the CEJ. So there's your first root trunk that you have to know. The buccal root trunk from the CEJ to the furcation area that's located between the two roots, the mesial buccal and the distal buccal root, is four millimeters. The other important thing to know is that that furcation is centered in a mesial distal direction. The mesial furcation is three millimeters from the CEJ and is not centered. And that is located a little more lingually in a buccal-lingual direction. So the mesial forcation is located between the mesial buccal root and the palatal root. And so there's your next root trunk, three millimeters for the mesial forcation. The distal forcation is five millimeters from the CEJ and also is not centered. It is located more lingually in a buccal-lingual direction. So that root trunk is located between the distal buccal root and the palatal root. And if you can memorize those numbers, it will go a long way at helping you. Looking at the buccal aspect of the maxillary first molar, You can see all four cusps from this view because the lingual cusps are offset distally. The mesial buccal cusp is wider, but the distal buccal cusp is more pointed. The mesial outline is a little flatter than the distal, and the cervical ridge is more prominent in the mesial portion of the buccal aspect of the crown. There is a buccal groove which forms from the developmental groove, it's right between the cusps and it extends cervically to the middle third of the tooth. And there's often a pit at the end of that buccal groove. And think about the clinical significance of that with caries, risk, and sealant placement. Looking at the lingual aspect of the maxillary first molar, the surface is more convex than the buccal because that height of contour is in the middle third. The mesial lingual cusp is larger and higher than the distal lingual cusp. The distal outline is shorter than the mesial because the distal lingual cusp is smaller. Remember, there's that cusp of Caravelli, which is located on the mesial lingual cusp. It's a fifth non-functioning cusp, named after an Austrian, dentist who described it in 1842. 70% of the maxillary first molars have a cusp of Carabelli. Now, the cusp of Carabelli has a groove on it. It's a mesiolingual groove, and that separates the cusp of Carabelli from the mesiolingual cusp. There's also a distolingual groove that's between the mesiolingual and distolingual cusps. And at the end of that distal lingual groove, there can sometimes be a pit. And just like on the buccal groove with a buccal pit, on the lingual groove with a lingual pit, it carries the same clinical implications of caries risk and consideration with sealant placement. Taking a look at the proximal aspect of the maxillary first molar, there are mesial and distal marginal grooves. The cervical line curvature is slightly greater on the mesial, which follows the form and function rules. The crown is centered on its root axis. But remember, there's a palatal root flare, which extends beyond the crown outline. Remember that banana shape I mentioned? This is a key characteristic to differentiate between the maxillary first and the maxillary second molars. Taking a look at the occlusal table of the maxillary first molar, it is rhomboidal in shape. Now think about what the boundaries of the occlusal table are. You have your mesial and distal marginal ridges, and you have the mesial and distal cusp ridges of all four of the major cusps. Now the cusp size from largest to smallest are mesial lingual, mesial buccal, distal buccal, distal lingual, and the cusp of carabelli. That cusp of carabelli resides right on that mesiolingual cusp to add to its distinct size. Now there are triangular ridges on the occlusal table. All four major cusps have triangular ridges. And there are two triangular ridges on the mesiolingual cusp. There's the lingual triangular ridge of the mesiolingual cusp and the distal triangular ridge of the mesial lingual cusp. There's one transverse ridge, so the lingual triangular ridge of the mesial lingual cusp and the triangular ridge of the mesial buccal cusp. There is also one oblique ridge on the maxillary first molar. There's the distal triangular ridge of the mesial lingual cusp and the triangular ridge of the distal buckle cusp forms the oblique ridge. And then you have your mesial and distal marginal ridges. There are four fossa located on the occlusal table of the maxillary first molar. There's the central fossa, which is located between the oblique ridge and the transverse ridge. There's the distal fossa, which is located directly distal and parallel to the oblique ridge. And then there's the mesial and distal triangular fossa. There is a buccal groove on the occlusal table that extends from the central pit onto the buccal surface. There's a central groove that connects the mesial and distal pits. There's triangular grooves mesial buccal, mesial lingual, distal buccal, and distal lingual triangular grooves. There's a distal lingual groove, which separates the mesial lingual cusp from the distal lingual cusp and extends onto the lingual surface. And then there's a cusp of carabelli groove, which is located on the mesial lingual aspect, and that separates that accessory cusp from the mesial lingual cusp. The central pit is located in the deepest portion of the central fossa. The mesial pit is located in the mesial triangular fossa. And the distal pit is located in the distal triangular fossa. Looking at the maxillary second molar, the eruption date is 12 to 13 years, with a root completion of 14 to 16 years of age. Using tooth designation system universal, the numbers are 2 and 15. The proximal contacts on the mesial and distal are located in the middle third. The maxillary second molar generally has four cusps, but can have a three-cusp type, and there's no accessory cusp. The distal lingual cusp is less developed on the maxillary second molar than the maxillary first. The roots are less divergent than the first molar, and there's a greater chance of fusion. Looking at the pulp, there are three pulp canals. The variation is that the mesial buccal root may have two pulp canals, and there are four pulp horns. Looking at the root anatomy, it's similar to the maxillary first molar, although the depressions are more shallow. The roots are closer together, creating tighter furcation entrances, which can be very challenging for instrumentation. And I will note the length of the root trunks are the same as the maxillary first molar. Looking at the buccal aspect of the permanent maxillary second molar, The crown is narrower occlusocervically and mesiodistally than the first molar. The buccal grooves are often shorter, and usually there's no buccal pit. The mesial buccal cusp is longer than the distal buccal cusp, which is relatively the same as the height on the first molar. Looking at the lingual aspect, the distal lingual cusp is much smaller in all dimensions. There's no cusp of carabelli, and the distal lingual groove does not extend as far cervically as on the first molar. There's less root flare than the maxillary first molar. Remember, that was a key characteristic for that first molar to have that banana-shaped lingual root. Well, on the maxillary second molar, the root is pretty straight on the lingual root aspect. So this is a key characteristic to differentiate between the maxillary first and maxillary second molar. Looking at the occlusal table, the crown is narrower in a mesial distal direction and the distal lingual cusp is much smaller than the mesial lingual, which is a key characteristic to differentiate first from second. There are two major crown forms to note the shape of the occlusal table rhomboidal for the four-cusp type, and heart-shaped for the three-cusp type. There is an oblique ridge, just like on the maxillary first molar, but it is less prominent, and there are more supplemental grooves evident on the occlusal table. If there's no distal lingual cusp present, then there's also no distal fossa, and this should be noted when you're doing sealant placement. Looking at the maxillary third molar, the eruption date is 17 to 21 years, with a root completion of 18 to 28 years of age. It's the smallest molar in the dentition and has the highest degree of variability in the maxillary arch. The roots are shorter and are often partially fused. There are two shapes to the occlusal outline of the maxillary third molar. There is a heart-shaped, which is the most common. The distal lingual cusp is very small or non-existent. The rhomboidal shape usually has a larger distal lingual cusp. Now, keep in mind that that distal lingual cusp could be small or non-existent on the maxillary third molar. As you're developing your skills and understanding of the occlusal table of these maxillary molars, know that it's really important to know where all the grooves and pits reside. When you take dental materials and you're learning how to place sealants, this will be really important for you because you don't want to place a sealant and miss an important occlusal feature to protect that patient's areas from decay. A memory tip to help you when you're learning about the molars. The first molars are the first on the scene, right? They come in at six to seven years of age and they are the mother of all molars. The maxillary and mandibular first molars technically have five cusps. So the maxillary molar has the cusp of carabelli, and the mandibular molar has the third buccal cusp. So if you can remember that they're the largest molars and they're first on the scene and they have the most amount of cusps. It kind of all goes together. As you're learning about the molar tooth morphology and considering the root anatomy and key features, what I want you to think about is the implications to clinical practice. How does the root anatomy affect instrumentation? You want to think about how adaptation into these furcal surfaces and concavities possible as you're learning about the tooth morphology. For example, as you go posteriorly, the roots become closer together. So think about reaching into those areas with your instruments. It's going to be harder the more posteriorly you move. Think about the root flare and the lack of root flare. When you have roots that come together like a pair of pliers, those clinical implications are pretty significant on doing instrumentation in those areas. The other thing that you want to think about is that there are concavities in the furcation areas. So if you have roots that converge together and and come together in a way that you can't reach in there with the instruments, and then know that there's areas where the furcations have concavities, this creates a lot of challenges for getting your patients into a healthy zone and maintaining the periodontal health status in these areas. Thanks so much for listening today. Join me for the next episode where we will be discussing the tooth morphology of the mandibular molars we will be taking a look at the major character traits as well as the clinical considerations. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.